Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today we are, we're beginning a series, we're going to continue for two weeks after this, kind of leading us up to Thanksgiving, out of Psalm 23. We're calling it the Good Shepherd. These three weeks we'll spend some time unpacking the text of Psalm 23. Now this may be a very, very familiar passage of scripture to many of you. This has over the years been a passage of scripture that has been turned into a prayer for hundreds of years. Uh, many of the, the saints would make this a prayer that they prayed on a regular basis. Uh, some people, maybe some of you, like, like me, at different points in your life, maybe as a child or even as an adult, you've tried to participate in scripture memorization and try to really do what the psalmist says. How does a young man or young woman stay pure? By hiding God's word in our heart. And so maybe you've tried to hide God, God's word in your heart through scripture memorization. And Psalm 23 is one of the passages that a number of people look to to begin memorizing scripture and internalizing scripture into their hearts And so perhaps that's how you've engaged this text as well. Even if you've never really read the text, I'm sure you're going to be familiar with it as we talk about it in just a moment. But I want us to spend these three weeks together uh, really allowing God to speak to us from his word. Now, that's always our heart. We, We genuinely always want God's word to speak to us. But I believe over these three weeks, as I've been praying, I really believe that God wants to use his word which is timeless, it is an ancient text, but it's active and alive today, that it can speak into our hearts and really, really change the way that we live. And so if you've you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Psalm 23. I'd love for you to to open it and maybe make some notes there in the margins of your Bible. You can use the envelopes that are provided there for giving if you want to write on the back of those, and, uh, and we'll use those together so that maybe you can refer back to those as well. But Psalm 23, reading the entire psalm, all six verses, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we want to take this, that's the whole psalm right there. We want to take this psalm, these six verses, and we want to unpack it over the course of these three weeks. And so today I want us to really focus in on verses one through three. So one through three, this is where we'll spend our time. Let's read those verses together quickly, just so we have kind of our focal point for today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's where we're going to spend our time together today. And and really, we may not do it exactly like this every week of this three weeks, but I felt like today there were some specific truths found in each one of these lines, each one of these kind of stanzas of these verses that we're reading. So how I want us to address it is I want us just to take it kind of line by line, kind of these verses together, and and we'll unpack them. And so we're going to start with this. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, are there any shepherds in the room? Raise your hand. I actually had somebody raise their hand in the first service. I knew where, I I know my audience. It's Cherokee County. We got a few. Anybody else? 
right? Some of y'all are city folks. So you, okay, so, but I, I know that there are some of us that perhaps for your job or as a hobby, you have some form of shepherding experience, maybe just through movies and reading and understanding context like you, you know what we're talking about. But reading this, maybe you go, well, you know, I'm not really sure how this connects to my life. Uh, but I love that the author here of this passage, of this text, was King David. Now, he was, he was king, obviously, as we're, we're referencing here, but before he was king, does anybody know what he was? Shepherd boy, right? He was this shepherd boy. And the, the, the children of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament narrative, they were looking for a king. They wanted a king. All the neighboring countries, nations, they had a king. And so all they had to this point was, you know, were these judges and these prophets. And, and so it was like, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. Why won't you give us a king? And so God relented and gave them a king. And so the first king of Israel was King Saul. And he was handsome, and he was tall, and he had a lot of ability. And, and so, like, he did a good job for a while. But then there came this moment where King Saul quit building altars to God, and he started building monuments to himself. And the hand of God, the favor of God, was removed from Saul. And God knew that the, the nation needed a new king. And so he sent the prophet Samuel to find the new king. And the story of the, the beginning of and really most of the reign of the kingdom of David is found in First and Second Samuel and in the books of Chronicles there, those chronicles of his story. And so in 1 Samuel, what happens is that then the prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's house. God sends him to Jesse's house to find the new king. Now, I love this part of the story and I hate this part of the story. And here's why. Because when I was younger, I used to read this story that the prophet came to Jesse's house and it was there that he anointed the next king. But like, it was okay, and I'm giving away the punchline, that David wasn't there at first because like he just showed up unannounced at the house and like there's no way that Jesse could have known and no way the brothers could have known. But if you read the story, what it says is that the prophet showed up to Jesse's house and he invited them to the sacrifice so that the next king could be found. Now, I have one other brother. Okay, so there's just the two of us. If the prophet would have showed up at our house and said to my dad, I'm here because one of your two boys is going to be anointed to be king, and we're going to go do this out in a field about two miles down the road, and I happen to be working as a 15-year-old that day bagging groceries at the Bilo, I think my dad would have called my manager and said, hey, any chance Jeremy could get off early? The prophet's here, and one of the boys is going to be anointed. Now, it might not be Jeremy, but even if it's Jason, I'd like Jeremy to be there to celebrate his brother. But there is no indication that anybody even thought it was important for David to be at this ceremony. And so the prophet shows up and he invites all of the family out to this place of consecration and anointing. And Samuel does what you and I would do. He looks on the outward appearance of the sons and he says, surely this oldest son who is handsome and, and strong, he could be a king and maybe help lead the army. And the Lord checks him in his heart and said, it's not this one. And he goes to the next son and he said, surely this one. I mean, if not that one, surely it's this next one. He's handsome and strong and he's not the oldest, but he's the second oldest. And surely, and one by one by one, he goes down the list until he gets to the end of all the sons that are present at the ceremony. No one has been found by God through the prophet to be the king. And look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. It says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. They forgot him. Samuel 
then said, well, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he had him brought in and he was glowing with health. I wish they'd say that about me and had a fine appearance and handsome features. I wish they, okay. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramah. There's this really amazing God-ordained story where the prophet is used by God to, to call the shepherd boy in. Now, if you were to continue to read this story, later, when Saul is tormented, they're looking for somebody to play the harp. Because the anointing had been removed from Saul's life, but Saul's, Saul's still the king at this point. The anointing had been removed from his life. And so he's tormented, and they call for Jesse's son, who is with the sheep. Later, when the story of Goliath is there, and the Philistine army is battling against the people of God, and Jesse wants to send some rations to his other sons who are fighting in the war, he brings David in from the field. He's still tending the sheep even after being anointed to be king. Now, you don't have to tell anybody, but if you had been anointed in front of your brothers to be the next king, and the next day everybody gets up to do chores and dad's like, hey, I want you to go back out with the sheep. He'd be like, I don't know if you were here yesterday. But there were some pretty important things that happened. I think you need to send one of those that God didn't like. <laughs> right? No. He's with the sheep. He's a shepherd boy. But I love that Psalm 23 is not written from the perspective of the shepherd. David could have easily written the psalm and said, I am the good shepherd, and written this very poetic verse about what God does for all of us as the good shepherd, but he doesn't do that. He writes it from the perspective of the sheep. He knows as the shepherd what his role and responsibility was, but he writes Psalm 23 in response to the shepherd from the perspective of the sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he makes some incredibly powerful declarations right here in this first line that I don't want us to miss. The Lord, capital T, capital L. It's a name, it's a title. He's not talking about some general figment of something in the cosmos. He is declaring that the Lord personally, individually, is, present tense, not was, not will be, but actively now, is my personally, not our collectively, not your, detached from my relationship. The Lord individually is actively my personal shepherd, guider, leader of my life, protector. Like he's making some very profound declarations in the first five words of the psalm. I have to imagine that he's hearkening back to those days on the hillside as he had all of these sheep wandering around and he's thinking in the mindset of the shepherd, but perhaps even putting himself in the position of the sheep and reflecting on God as a shepherd, a good shepherd to him. These are some powerful declarations. And so then we move on to the next line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I don't know how often you use the word shall in everyday language, it's not something I work in all the time. But when I was trying to memorize this passage of Scripture as a young boy, we had these Scripture memorization cards in a little box that were in the center of our breakfast table in the kitchen. And we would pull one out every morning, and we would read it, and we would try to memorize it. And then other days, there were other cards that had the different fruit of the Spirit, and we would look at what love and joy and peace and patience and kindness really look like in our lives. And so we would take those cards, me and my brother, 
We would take those cards out and we would begin to try to memorize the scripture. And the passage of scripture, the translation of scripture that we had on that card said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So when I read it, when I think the psalm, I think that I shall not want. I don't think I will not want. That doesn't even sound like the Bible in my head. Now, I don't do that with every passage of scripture, but in Psalm 23, I shall not want just sounds right. It just, it just feels like, yeah, this is... This is the scripture. Now, why is it important that I shall not want? Well, because if the Lord is my shepherd and I am the sheep, I have to recognize some things about sheep. Sheep are wanderers. They just kind of wander off. They're also not the smartest animal on the farm, right? And so what happens is, if we're reading this, David had spent a lot of time with sheep and he understood a lot about the perspective and the characteristics and the behavior of sheep. And so even as he positions himself as a sheep, he recognizes, and this was true in part of his story, that sometimes a a sheep might wander off from what is right to do things that aren't right because it catches their attention. And I think in all of our lives, we have this tension that we are constantly living in to determine, do I want the things of God or do I want the things that I want? Because they feed that natural flesh. That doesn't mean that God doesn't give me those wants. There are definitely things that God gives me. He gives us the desires of our heart. As I make sure that my heart is in align with him. But the New Testament tells me that I should be led by the spirit and not led by the flesh. Because it's those fleshly desires that lead me astray. And so if we're honest with ourselves, it's those things that we are searching for and wandering off because it catches our eye and it catches our attention and we're chasing after them and we're actually being led astray because of our own temptations and our own desires and the flesh that exists, the sin nature that exists on the inside of us. And so that's why it's really important when we read something like this in Luke chapter 15, verse four. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, we read that and we're like, oh, that's a really powerful story and we can can love the truth of that story. It's not an isolated story. In Luke 15, it's a part of three different stories about lost things being found. Right? And so in this lost sheep being found, we celebrate about salvation. We celebrate that the, the shepherd would leave, like the compassion and grace. It doesn't seem like it's the wisest thing to do. It's like you got 99 Why would you leave the 99 to go and find? One doesn't seem to matter a whole lot until that one is someone you know. And I'm so thankful that the grace of God extends to the one because I was the one and you were the one and people we know and love are the one. And so God says, hey, I am never content that any of my sons and daughters would be lost and outside of relationship and outside of community. And so the the shepherd would leave the 99 to go and find the one. But why would the one be off? Because sheep are wanderers. Sheep chase after their wants. And sometimes we overlap our needs and our wants, but they are different things. We asked our kids the other day, hey, we need your Christmas list. My mom taught me when I was younger, like, it's a list. You can ask anything you want. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, but you can ask anything you want. And so we have that philosophy with our kids. What do you want for Christmas? It's amazing to me, none of our kids ever asked for socks. Not one time. (laughs) Really, I could help them. They only need to ask for left socks. I think we only wear right in our house. I don't know where the, I think we're giving left socks away for free in the neighborhood. Like, they never really asked for, like, They ask for their wants. And I love that. I want them to ask for that. We want to try to provide those things to them. 
But man, so often what happens in our lives is we overlap our needs and our wants, and even though God has provided to us, we're always looking for something else. Adam and Eve were created and placed in the garden, and God gave them the entire garden. Like everything was theirs, he gave them one thing to avoid, and where did they hang out? Next to the one thing, to the one tree, to the one place. It's like all that I have created is yours, avoid this tree. And Eve is hanging out by that tree so much, she's now talking to the snake that's living in that tree. And Adam walks by and Eve gets Adam's attention. And then Adam, like when God comes, it's like, what happened? It's like this woman that you made, made me do this. And Eve's like, well, this snake that you created made, like, it's just, we're passing the buck. But what happens is we get so distracted that we miss all that God has given to us for like the one thing that we are not supposed to have. We want something. That's what sheep do. And so when we recognize, it's like, the Lord is my shepherd. And if I believe that, and if I'm living out that he is my shepherd, then I don't have to go searching for anything else because he's given me everything that I need. But the Lord knew that sheep are wanderers. And so we move to the next phrase. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. I don't know all of you, but I know some of you well enough to know that when you read that, it bristles that, like just makes me. Nobody makes me do anything. I choose what I want to do, right? He makes me like, but there is a submission. There's a part of this that says like, I I submit my will to your will. I submit my ways to your ways. And if you say to me that I should lie down here, I will lie down here. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. I think this is probably the most misunderstood part of this passage because of our present reality context in which we do life and living here in the 21st century of Western civilization. and We have access to so much. We, we really are an affluent people. That doesn't mean everybody's like the richest person in your neighborhood or the richest person in the church, but all of us just by comparison are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. And so we have some level of affluence and we have most of the things that we need and even probably some of the things that we want And so if that's the case, like we start to look at other people and and what they have in their green pastures, and sometimes we start longing for their greener pastures because we're not content with our pasture. And so we start looking and wandering our eyes, looking to other green pastures. This is the picture that I want you to see that most of us envision when we're reading Psalm 23, when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Don't you wish your grass looked like that? If your grass does look like that, I need you to come to my house. It makes me lie down in really plush grass, green pastures. Let me show you what it actually looks like. This is what the context of the writing would have been. This is green pasture. That in the midst of rock and thorn and hard places, there are these little sprouts of green that come up. And where the sheep would have constantly been looking kind of for the, the bigger, greener pastures. They, they, they've seen that other people have other things and nicer things and they want some of the... And so it's like they're chasing after that. They're just looking and looking. And as they look way above, they're missing what's right in front. And in the attempt to avoid anything hard and anything that's work and anything that like feels like, oh, God wouldn't cause me to have to go through something like this, even though the book of James tells us that sometimes we go through tests and trials because he's actually working out some perseverance in us. There's some character development that happens in seasons like this. But in the midst of that, we are not alone. He's leading us to the green in the midst of it. 
He's leading us to provision. He hasn't left us by ourselves. The good shepherd is leading us there. Jacob, do we have the other picture that somebody sent to us after the first service? Do you have that? This is in February in Israel. I preached, I just showed you the picture, in the, in the, the same picture I showed them in the first service. And one of the guys said, hey, I was in Israel in February, and this is what it looked like. This, so I'm like, it's not just a random Google search. Like he was in the lobby and sent us this. Like this is on my phone, right? This is what green pastures actually looks like. And so often we are trying to avoid hard places and we, we are convinced that, that God is just giving us like an easy life. That if we are in relation, no, 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 you may have to walk through some hard things, but he's walking with you in them. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he takes us to these places of, of like green grass and some plush life and, and, and sustenance there as he provides for us in the midst of something else that may not look like somebody else's picture. And it requires of us. Another passage of scripture we tried to remember and memorize as a child, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Like when I'm walking among the rocks and I'm in those places that aren't always easy and I'm not really sure why this is my journey and maybe it looks like somebody else has a different journey as I compare my reality to what I see of their reality, not their true reality, because I can't see it all, but what I see of their reality, I lose contentment. Why? Because comparison is the enemy of contentment, and so my comparison absolutely steals the places of contentment that I'm supposed to have. But he leads me there. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's walking with me through these pastures and these moments. And then the next phrase says this, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside still waters. This is not water that is absolutely still, like that looks like a pane of glass. This is like a slow-moving, babbling brook there maybe in the valley. Not on the side of the mountain or at the top of the mountain where the water would have had a current. It would have been moving quickly down the mountain. And the sheep by themselves would see or even hear that water moving rapidly and they would be drawn to it. And so they would think, oh, I have this need. I'm very thirsty. There's something that I want. And so I need to quench that, 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 that desire. In my, so I'm going to chase after. I'm going to run after that. But what would happen is they would fall into the current and be carried down the mountain. And it would cause harm to them, maybe even death. But the shepherd would know that they needed something to drink. And so he would lead them to still water so that they could stand on the water's edge and lean over and drink as much as they wanted to drink without fear. And you and I, unfortunately, so many of us, through our own desires, intentions, or the reality of life that we are pulled to like a magnet, we just live life at a faster pace and a faster current than we were intended to live. I'm not saying we should be lazy. The scripture actually speaks against that. If you're lazy, you don't eat. You should work. You should work hard. But there should be a moment that you stop. There should be a time that you unplug, that you disconnect. Because he desires to lead us to still waters. And our connectedness and our interconnectedness and our to-do lists and our apps and our emails and our social media and our inboxes and all of the things, like we're constantly being inundated with information. And because of that, it's moving at such a pace 
that it is unsustainable. And that's not what God modeled for us. He created all that was and all that is in six days. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. And then even prior to the law, he gifted to his people that same kind of rest with the Sabbath. And he called to them to Sabbath and to rest and to create a 24-hour block of time where their identity was not connected to their productivity, but their identity was found in him even in their stillness. It's like, don't go and gather the crops because you think that your identity is in how much crop you can gather and how much you can provide for your family and how many things you can go and do and how busy you seem to be. And people ask you, how are you doing? And you respond, I'm just busy. It's just a busy season. It's like, that's not your identity. That's your movement. That's your activity. But he says, hey, I love you so much and your identity is so grounded in me that you can actually pause for 24 hours and Sabbath in me, and your identity doesn't change because your productivity did. It's like, just rest in me. I'm leading you to stillness. I'm leading you to a place where you can just like stop creating, stop moving. And it's not about laziness. It's about stillness. Psalm 46 and 10 reminds us of that great truth when it says this, be still and know that I'm God. He's God when you're moving and when you're not. He's God when you're awake and when you're asleep. He's God when you cry out and when you whisper. Just be still and know that he's God. Jesus would later call himself the good shepherd, and he would tell us that his sheep know his voice. I don't think that's the problem. I think we know his voice. I think we can't hear his voice because of all the other noise. There's so many other things pulling for our time and our attention that if we truly want to live out Psalm 23, we've got to quiet the noise of the other voices so that we can hear the voice of the good shepherd. He's calling us. He's leading us beside the still waters to drink in everything that we need. Everything that we need. Be still and know that I'm God. So up to this point, all of these phrases, all of these parts of scripture could absolutely be things that you could see in the interaction between a real life shepherd and a real life sheep. And it changes in the next two. Because David could have absolutely known that those sheep recognized him as the shepherd and that they didn't have any needs or any wants because he was providing those things for them and he was leading them to the green pastures even in the midst of rockiness and he was leading them to still waters. But then we come to this next phrase and it says this, he restores my soul. There was no real way for David to know if the sheep's soul was restored. Really. Like soul is difficult to quantify. Like you can't really measure soul and soul health. But you know it when it's unhealthy. And so you can do your own evaluation to determine that if the Lord is your shepherd and you have no wants and he leads you to those places of still water and he makes you lie down in green, like you can know the health of your soul in this season. If you had to give it a number, one to 10, what's your soul health right now? 10 being the best. Like you're just walking with Jesus in the cool of the day. Everything's awesome. You feel at peace and at rest in the pace and the rhythm that life requires of you because your identity's found in him. What's the level of the health of your soul? But when there is that kind of stillness, 
when there is that kind of provision, when we recognize that he is our shepherd and our identity is found in him, like it's amazing what can happen to us. It's no longer about the literal shepherd and these literal sheep on the hillside. It truly can be about you and me living in somewhere in the vicinity of Canton, Georgia, or watching Generations Church Online and like evaluating ourselves to say like, is my soul restored in Christ? Jesus invites us into that kind of relationship in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he says this, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. The yoke here is the teaching of the rabbi. There would have been a number of rabbis during that day and time, and their yoke would have been like their teaching, their doctrine. Some of them would have had it written out on like a scroll or even like the thing that they would wear, a kind of a shawl. And so like they would carry that, they would wear that. He said, my yoke is upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you is light. We've made Christianity so difficult, some of us. We think that God is trying to burden us down with a bunch of lists and to-dos and to-don'ts and we're trying to figure out how to navigate the day-to-day living And it feels heavy. And let me just say to you that religion is heavy. But a relationship with Jesus Christ who took the cross upon himself so that you and I would not have to. So that we could carry the light and and, and easy yoke that he gives to us. that's, That's what he's inviting us into is that lightness, that rest for our souls. He's saying, hey, I want you to come and I want you just to have joy. I want you to be able to breathe. I mean, some of us are wound so tight right now, we don't even know what a full deep breath feels like. It's been so long. I've got somebody this week that I was walking through a tough situation early in the week this past week, and it started on Monday, and it kind of worked all the way through the week, and on Thursday, I was checking on them, and we were texting back and forth, and they said, yeah, I'm feeling better now. The tightness in my chest let up last night. That's three days worth of tightness in their chest. Not physical issues. It's like anxiety and fear and worry. Some of you know what that feels like. You know exactly what it feels like to to, to be wound so tight. Which is such a contrary idea to where Christ is saying, come to me if you're weary. If you're tired. If you're burdened. If life and religion and faith and church and all, if it feels, no, 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 you're missing the point. It's like, take my yoke upon you, not somebody else's yoke, not somebody else's teaching, not somebody else's doctrine. Like, come and take the grace that I give to you. Come and take the forgiveness that I extend to you. Come and take the mercy and the unconditional love and acceptance that I give, and, and wear that for a little while and see if it doesn't restore your soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, even when it doesn't make sense. And he leads me beside these still waters. And in the midst of all of that work taking place internally and externally, there's something amazing that happens to my soul. It is restored. It's restored. Which leads us to this last stanza. He says this, he says, and he leads me in paths of righteousness 
for his name's sake. We've been trying to figure out how to get to God and how to be good enough and how to create righteousness. Righteousness in this form would just be like right standing before God. On that day of judgment or even in this present day, how do I stand before a holy and righteous God and not feel the guilt and the shame that the enemy is constantly putting on me? How do I have that kind of right standing before God? He leads me there. He doesn't push me there. He doesn't pull me there. He leads me here. To his righteousness. Not so that you and I can be self-righteous and feel good about ourselves and feel like we've got it all figured out and become so self-righteous that we become judgmental and we look at other people and go, oh, look at all their mess. I don't have mess like that. No, no. His righteousness for his name's sake so that whatever righteousness we take on that comes from him, we recognize that we also should extend grace and mercy and love and forgiveness to those around us. Because we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each one to our own desires. He leads me in paths of righteousness, in pursuit of righteousness for his name's sake. When Corey and I go on road trips, which means we get in the car and we drive like anywhere outside of our town, right? Go on road trips. Corey and I have known each other since we were 13. I feel like I've heard her pray this prayer thousands of times, maybe. She prays the same prayer at the beginning of the road trip, every time. Lord, protect us. Keep us safe. Go before us, behind us, above us, beneath us, all sides of us. Every time, that's what she prays. Not out of ritual, it's her prayer. And man, when I was thinking about you this week, When I was thinking about our time together and I was like envisioning this moment right here, that's my prayer for you. Lord, go before them and behind them and above them and beneath them and all sides of them and lead them in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And and I love this passage of scripture because so many of us are like, well, how do I get there? Like, what do I do? I don't don't know what the path looks like. Like as I trust in the Lord with all of my heart, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he's directing my path. But like, even if I had the map, like, I'm just not sure how to make, like, that sounds good on Sunday. But what does that look like on Tuesday and on Thursday and a year from now and five years from now? And I prayed a prayer 10 years ago. Like, what does that look like today? Psalm 119. 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. Your word, the timeless truth of your word that speaks to us and speaks to the places that we're living and the things that we're doing and our coming and our going. The God who doesn't push us and the God who doesn't pull us, but the God who leads us said, hey, I'm not leaving you by yourself to figure it out. I leave my word to you. And Jesus, when he would ascend to the Father, said, it's better for you that I go because I leave to you the Holy Spirit who will help to remind you of the things that I've said and he will help you to understand truth and he will draw us to conviction. Like his word is a lamp into my feet. And I would love to tell you I'm so creative I could make a Bible light up right now. But I can't. But I got a flashlight on my phone. And it's almost like if I'm trying to figure out how to make this thing work, the good shepherd's just walking right in front of me and say, hey, can you see how to take a step today? 
You know where you're supposed, here, here take, take one more step today. Like, open your Bible and hide God's word in your heart and seek to understand and seek to apply. And let me just tell you, like, when you do that, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna light up the path that you should be walking. And so many of us are trying to figure out how to find righteousness without utilizing the word of God. We're just making up our own truth and trying to figure out everyday living on our own. And he said, no, 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 listen, I've given you the lamp. I've given you the way forward. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. Go to the information center today. Download the app on your phone or your device and find a Bible reading plan. Go to read the book of John. John chapter 1. Just start there. Read the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. It's known as the New Testament Proverbs. These little bite-sized nuggets of truth to go like, what should I do? I should probably be slow to speak and quick to listen. Some of us could spend the rest of our life trying to figure out how to apply that one. It's like, yeah, yeah, just like I'm just illuminating your path. Just stop talking so much. Listen more. That's going to save you. Like righteousness is going to become more available to your life. Be patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. I'm just, this is the way we should live. This is the way we should go. That's what he said in Proverbs, in Psalms 119. Like, I'm giving you the light to your path so that you can know the way you should go. Don't try to figure it out every, every single step all at the same time. Just take one step and then look for me. Take one step and then just look for the light. Take one step and then just look to my word. Take one step and then just trust me. Every single day, you just take another step and you just look to the lamp of my word so that you know how to walk. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something that may make you mad? If the first line isn't true, none of the rest of it is possible. If the first line isn't true, none of the rest of it is possible. Let me show you what I mean. Jacob, throw this up there for us. The Lord is not my shepherd. If this is true of you, then watch this. Therefore, I chase what I want. He can't make me lie down in green pastures so I don't let him lead me to stillness. My soul is not restored and while he desires to lead me towards righteousness, I'll I'll work to find it on my own. There's so many of us that this is the truth of our lives. This is the way we live. This is the way we're trying to make it work. Every single day, while we want all of the second half of these verses to be true, the Lord is not my shepherd. I don't give him control of my life. I don't let him lead and guide me. I'm not looking for his wisdom and his direction. I want his blessing and his favor, but only if he'll bless and favor what I want to do. If the first line isn't true, none of the rest of it is possible. And so it leads us to this question today. Is the Lord my shepherd? Is the Lord my shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Is he mine? Because if he is, 
It doesn't mean that every single moment of every single day of your life is going to be perfect. There may be rocky seasons and rocky moments and rocky roads. But in the middle of those moments, he leads us somewhere. He illuminates the path. He directs our steps. And he invites us to trust him. Is the Lord my shepherd? I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. We come to this moment of prayer and response. If you're here today and you say, Jeremy, for me, I know that I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. I want to change my eternity. I want to change the trajectory of my life. I've fallen short of the glory of God through my own behavior, my own actions. You are not alone in that, by the way. But if that's you, and you want him to transform your heart and life today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not about salvation, really. But I need to give God control again. I need to lean into his wisdom and trust his word. I need him to be my shepherd, to lead and guide my life. Continue to purge me of those things that don't reflect his character and his nature. I just need to let him lead again. If that's you, would you lift your hand? So many of us today, you're not by yourself. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for Psalm 23. We thank you, God, for the truth of scripture. We thank you for how it cuts into our heart pierces, divides, corrects, it rebukes, it teaches today. And God, I pray for every person that's acknowledged, maybe with an uplifted hand, maybe just in their heart they know that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And they desire for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, to just join into this family of God. God, would you help them to find the free gift of salvation in confession to you now. If that's you, if that's the decision you're making, I invite you now to say, God, I confess with my mouth, I am a sinner in need of you to be my Savior, be my Lord. I believe you'll do that right now. And now, God, I pray for every person in this room. God needs you to lead. You desire it, you will, but they gotta give you control. God, I pray that we would give you that kind of leadership in our lives, that we would lean into your wisdom and your guidance and your direction. We wouldn't wander off, but we would be led by you, the good shepherd. God, we thank you in advance for how you'll make that come to be a reality in the everyday of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.